Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Here's my text outdo one another in showing honor. Everyone say that with me. Outdo one another in showing honor. I I don't watch a ton of news. I don't follow a lot of people on Facebook, but I watch a little and I follow a few and I see the same things that you see these days. Um, craziness and the madness that's going on but I see something more than maybe what some of you see I see the death of honor happening in our culture we're living in a culture that no longer has a concept of honor no honor for the police unfortunately some police maybe don't have honor toward the citizenry, there's no honor toward the leaders of the country. Certainly there's none by many of the leaders of the country toward us. If you don't believe that, watch it when one of us, a, 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 a normal citizen, testifies before Congress. They show absolute contempt for you. There's no honor for one another okay for me to just go out in the street and take your stuff because there's no honor there <clears throat> in the chapters leading up to chapter 12 in the book of Romans Paul is dealing specifically with something that relates to the church in Rome that he had never visited but he knew that this church was unique in that it had both Jew and Gentile believers in it, more so than other churches. And so there was a specific cultural situation there that was unique. And so I don't know what he had heard, but he's specifically addressing a mindset on the part of some of the Gentile believers and this mindset is still around with a lot of people today that somehow God had replaced physical Israel altogether with the church and that there's no longer any uh, ongoing promise or covenant with natural Israel and that they're just to be pushed aside. So 
he begins building a case starting in chapter 9 for the fact that God has not cast away his people Israel. As a matter of fact, there's still a plan that's unfolding that involves both them, both Jew and Gentile. And in the midst of it, he makes some great comments that are for us, you know, by grace, uh, that, that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart God's raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And, but then he follows that with, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all who call on him. And he, he's building a case for uh, this oneness in the spirit. Um, and he says, finally, he says, I would not have you in chapter 11 be ignorant, brethren, um, of this fact, lest you become wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And he said, so all Israel will be saved. That is written, the deliverer shall come forth out of Zion and shall take away ungodliness from Jacob. He said, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sin. He said, concerning the gospel, there are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, uh, they're, they're blessed for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. And he said, just as you were once disobedient to God, but have now obtained mercy because of their disobedience, even so they now have been disobedient, that through the mercy shown to you, they might also obtain mercy. And he says, for God has committed them all, all of us, to disobedience. Why? That he might have mercy on all. Isn't that amazing? We think we're like controlling this. He goes, no, he committed them all to disobedience so he might have mercy on all. Right? And he, this, this is so amazing to Paul. He said, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counsel or who has first given unto him that it shall be paid to him again for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. And that's what leads him into, I beseech you therefore, brethren. So you've got to understand this stuff that's going on in Romans chapter 12. The context is that God is not done with natural Israel and that he's got a plan for both of us. And we're not to be apart. All right? He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And this is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He said, For I say through the grace given unto me to everyone is among you, not to think of himself more highly, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each man a measure of faith. All right? For as the body has many members and not all the members have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. If prophecy... Let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. That's something that should probably be taught. You know, if you have a little gift of prophecy on you, don't go to thinking you're John the Baptist. Prophesy in proportion to your faith. 
You don't have to tell us all how COVID's going to end just because you got a little prophetic thing going on. Hello. One brother that I met that we've been praying with, he asked me a couple weeks ago when we sat down for the first time, he said, so, so what's the Lord saying in the region? What's the Lord up to? What's he doing here? I said, I don't have any idea. He said, awesome. <laughs> don't ask me. He's not telling me. Uh, I'm glad I'm here to pray, though. Maybe I'll hear at some point. But he said, but having then gifts differing according to the grace, if prophecy let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he exhorts in exhortation. Uh, he who gives with liberality, he leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And then that brings us to this. Let love be without hypocrisy, all right? Let love be genuine. And at that point, I have to switch over into the ESV. <laughs> it's, it's old school. Everything I have memorized is in the New King James, and now I'm preaching out of the ESV, so... I did read a thing this week that said Paul was like that. He randomly quoted from the Septuagint and the Hebrew text back and forth, and they can't figure out. They, the, the theologians are trying to figure out why he would do one and then the other. Well, I know why. <laughs> Depending on how he had that verse memorized, right? <laughs> and um, so he says here, to outdo each other in showing honor. Why? 1 Corinthians 4 and 6 says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Hello. Whatever you have that makes you all that in a bag of chips, you got it for free from God. <laughs> and you might want to remember that. Hello. <laughs> and I, was, I remember I was with Jamie once she was preaching at this back to school thing. And... Um, one of the young men who had grown up under me under camp, and we had this great relationship where we just we just say it like it is. And I happened to make a statement to him. I said, you know, sometimes you dial it down as you get older in the ministry. He said, why? I said, well, I don't know. I guess you, maybe you get a you get a little more afraid that you've got something to lose. And he looked at me, you know, early twenties. He says, what do you have to lose? I said, what? I mean, I started to get my hackles up. He said, oh, no, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just saying, what do you have that God didn't give you? Oh, <laughs> that sounds like Bible verse. He said, so if God gave it to you, why are you worried about losing it? Amen. No one can take it except God, and when he takes it, it's time for it to go. Amen. Now, that sounded really good that day. Some days it's hard to live that out, though. Right? It, it feels a little differently when God's prying it out of your not-yet-cold, dead hands. Right? Am I talking to anybody here today? 
honor here means a valuing by which the price is fixed. Hence, the price itself. Honor, and this is going to be consistent through this study, is that it, it, it refers to a price, a value that's been placed on something. That's what honor is. Matthew Henry says, instead of contending for superiority, let us be forward to give others the preeminence. Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And there is this good reason for it, because if we know our own hearts, we know more evil of ourselves than we do of anyone else in the world. We should be forward to take notice of the gifts and graces and performances of our brethren and value them accordingly. De Silva said this, the strong presence of words connected with the values of shame and honor invites and launches the fuller investigation of these values in the Pentateuch. Honor is represented most prominently by the word group formed from the verb kabod, which means to be heavy. It's the word for glory. It means to be heavy, which yields readily to the metaphorical sense of to be weighty or impressive to process honor and importance. Leaders were to be honored rather than treated lightly. Hello. According to many cultural anthropologists, the pivotal social value of the biblical world was honor. The status that one has in the eyes of those whose opinion one considers to be significant. To sum it up, what we have used as a definition of honor around here through the years, honor is celebrating who someone is without tripping over who they are not. Amen? So it begins with the Ten Commandments. And when you look at the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, the first four relate to God. Don't have any other gods before him. Don't make a grave. The first four relate to, relate to God. But the, in the fifth commandment, there's a shift. And then the last five are going to relate to your relationship with each other. But the fifth is the pivot point. And the fifth is this, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And then, you know, he repeats the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, and he says this one just a little different, honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And again, the word honor here means it's from Kabet. It means to be heavy, all right? I read this, a decent respect to their persons is what this means, an inward esteem of them outwardly expressed upon all occasions in our conduct toward them. What does it mean for me to honor you? And it's an inward esteem that I have of you that is outwardly expressed upon all occasions in my conduct toward you. They must also remember when they came to that land that they were upon their good behavior and that if they did not conduct themselves well, their days should be shortened in the land, both the days of particular persons who should be cut off from it and the days of their nation which should be removed out of it. This is absolute. Parents are to be honored, whether living or departed, known or unknown, good or evil. It is hard to obey in some cases, 
yet always possible. For remember, the father and mother may be honored even though the individuals fall short of the ideal they should exemplify. Apparent disrespect may sometimes grow out of a wholesome familiarity. This has causes some to act as though the commandment were to humor your father and mother rather than to honor them. Hello? The man who does not honor and respect his parents has not gained the habit of reverence. He does not honor God. He does not honor all men. What follows? Not honoring God, there is no power but self to restrain self. Impulses, desires, etc. are likely unreined to run away with him. A man so run away with is rushing post-haste to death. Not honoring men, he will hold aloof from men. They may hinder. They're not likely to help him. The friction of life intensified. All that is done is done with twice the effort. The needless friction must wear out the life. Could the test be applied, an insurance company would be justified in charging a lower premium on one who kept this commandment than on one who habitually disregarded it. Isn't that good? Wish I'd said it. Ezekiel 22 and 7 and 15 tells us that one of the reasons for the Babylonian exile was a failure to honor their parents. So then, who should we honor? I'm going to go through some people. First of all, the elderly. Leviticus 19.32 says, You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. The word honor there means to favor, to take his part. Matthew Henry said, age is honorable, and he that is the ancient of days required that honor be paid to it. Hello. <laughs> Those whom God has honored with the common blessing of long life, we ought to honor with the distingui distinguishing expressions of civility. More respect is owing to such old men than merely to rise up before them, their credit and comfort must be carefully consulted, their experience and observations improved, and their counsels asked and hearkened to. It is an instance of great degeneracy and disorder in a land when the child behaves himself proudly against the ancient and the base against the honorable. And that's from Isaiah 3, three and 5. I, I went then and looked up Isaiah 3 and 5. It sounds like the news. And the people will oppress one another, everyone his fellow and everyone his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honorable. Welcome to the evening news. The elderly should be honored. Secondly, the ministry should be honored. 1 Timothy 5.17, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And then here's this from Matthew 13, verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogues so that they were astonished and said, What? Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. 
But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do mighty works there because of their unbelief. And the word, therefore, without honor means insignificant. He said, a prophet is not insignificant except in his own hometown. MacArthur said this, this ancient proverb parallels the modern saying, familiarity breeds contempt. They knew Jesus well as a boy and a young man from their own town, and they concluded that he was nothing special. Verse 58 gives the sad result. Now I want to show you a principle here from this passage concerning honor. And I say it this way, whatever you honor will flow to you. Whatever you disrespect will not flow to you. They did not receive him as a prophet, so they did not receive what he was carrying. Now, unlike how charismatics preach this sometimes, they shut down deity. No, they did not. He did. They didn't shut down a thing. He shut it down because they didn't honor. They did not receive him as who he was. It's just Jesus, the son of Mary, and who knows? We know his brothers and his sister and... Who does he think he is? He still, that, that did not mean he could not function as the anointed son of God in their midst. He chose not to because of the lack of honor. Hello. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show that to you from, look at Matthew 10, verse 40. He said, whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. But if your assessment is, well, that's just Drew, then you get nothing. Because of the lack of honor. Hello? So you got quiet all of a sudden. But I've seen, I, I, I experienced that right in this church 15, 20 years ago that I would go out and the power of God would explode somewhere and there'd be healings and then and I would come home and I would literally hear people say, how come we can't do that here? And finally one day I got up and said, I'll tell you why, because you don't know who I am. When I go somewhere else, they think I'm carrying something from God. You think I'm D. Now, what are you doing, bragging on yourself? No, it's the same. I've taught you on, remember the Lord's Supper, on communion. He said, for this reason, many of you are sick, and some have even died. Why? Because you're not discerning the Lord's body. And, and when you look at that, what it boiled down to was they didn't know who each other was. If, if you knew who the people in this room are and what they are carrying, they could lay their hands on you and you would be healed. I know I need to stay up here. I'm quarantined on the red line. 
right? But if you don't know who they are, if you just think that's Ken, then he lays hands on you, nothing happens. But if, but if you recognize and value, if you have valued and assigned a value, an honor, hello, says there's something of value here. When this man lays his hands on me, there's something of value taking place. I've told you this story before, but years and years ago, way back in the 80s, Dr. Mendez, powerful man of God from New York, came out and preached, and, and, and I was taking him back to the airport in Tulsa. It was pre-cell phone days and all this. And the closer we got to the airport, the sicker I got. And I don't know why I never thought about having him pray for me, but I am, I'm the kind of person, my greatest strength is my ability to really focus in on what I'm thinking about it and just go for it. And my greatest weakness is my ability to just really focus in on what I'm thinking about and go for it. <laughs> like the other day in seminary, I was doing an assignment, and we had to evaluate every character in the passage. And I, and I evaluated all but one. You know which one I missed? God. <laughs> and my, the guy that was great and said, uh, dude, you, this is great, but you, you missed God in the passage. Yeah, that, that's intense, right? Yeah, I, I was focused. I was looking for people. You didn't tell me I was looking for God. I was looking for people. And so I drop him off at the I'm so sick, I drop him off at the airport, and, and I just... Bam, hit it and headed back for Berryville because I needed to get to John and Ruby's house for them to pray for me because I was sick. So I drop off the man of God and drive four hours back to get prayer because that's what I'm thinking. But you know what? It's not, I really wasn't thinking, it's not that I didn't have confidence in him, but I knew what they were carrying and I knew that they would pray for me. Is that making sense to you? And so, Listen, the body of Christ, that kind of morphs into the next thing. With Who should we honor? The body of Christ, our beginning scripture tells us that. But also, 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And that word is doxazo, which means uh, to cause the dignity and worth of some person or thing to become manifest and acknowledged. And Bauer says it means to give a banquet. If one member is honored, we give them a banquet. <laughs> Hello. Amen. So, uh, an excuse to eat. Now, what I, I want you to understand what this does not say, because I hear this quote a lot by people who say, you know, when one member suffers, all suffer with it, and when one member is honored, all are honored with it. And they quote it that way. And that's not what it says. It says, when one member's honored, all rejoice with it. Say, so, well, what's the difference? Well, here's, here's an example of honor for honor, all right? So Ken comes in, and on his way to church, he stopped at Family Dollar, and there was, ended up being somebody in there that needed healing. And so he shared some scriptures with them on healing, and then he began, he asked them if they could, he could pray for them, and they said yes. And so he laid hands on them, and the Lord touched their body. And they immediately began to recover. They weren't all the way, but they began to recover. And so he's 
standing at the back telling you this testimony, and you are about to come unhinged. You're hyperventilating. You're about to pass out because you can't wait for him to shut up so you can tell your story. Hello. That you were on the way to church, and your car broke down, and so you were walking to church because that's what you would do. And on your way, you ran into a family of five beside the road with signs because they had leprosy. And you preached the word to them. They all gave their life to Christ, and you laid hands on them, and they were immediately healed. That's honor for honor. Whatever God has honored you with, I've got a story, and it's always bigger. Hello? That's honor for honor. But it says here, no, we're going to throw you a banquet. (laughs) When you come in and say, hey, you know, the Lord did this. All right, we're going to throw you a banquet. We haven't had a banquet in hours. (laughs) All right? We're going to... We're going to throw you a banquet. And Paul was talking about one of his co-workers. He said in Philippians, Receiving the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. And this word means to hold him as precious and valuable. Fourth, we need to honor the leaders of our country. Paul said in Romans 13, Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Uh, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Matthew Henry says this sums up the duty which will not only to magistrates, but to all superiors, parents, masters, all that are over us in the Lord. Leviticus 19.3 says, You shall fear every man his father and mother, not with a fear of amazement, but a loving, reverent, respectful fear. Where there is not this respect in the heart to our superiors, no other duty will be paid aright. 1 Peter 2.16 says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Okay, so I could just close. But I'm 60, so I can't do that. There's still stories to tell. But honor everyone. But notice that in case you're wondering. Now, who did he say we're supposed to honor? Just go to this verse. Honor everyone. Which means you have to assign a value to everyone. And, and it sounds ugly. Oh, okay, I assign this value to you, this value. No, assign a value based on what God says about them. Hello. You, you agree with God and who he says they are. But he says, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor, honor the king. And um, so I remember when the boys were, were young, like, I don't know, it was 90. I remember the year it was. It was 94. We went up to um, that big theater in Branson, the palace, the Grand Palace. And uh, this preacher was there who, who uh, I'm not going to dishonor him uh, by saying everything I'm really thinking. But um, Bill Clinton was president at that time. And, of course, that was a problem for all of us, you know, because of the abortion issue. But he, st- he stood up there that night. And and he probably told 10 really kind of rude jokes about Bill Clinton in the course of his preaching. And 
I remember when we were walking out, I don't know where Rhonda was. Uh, I don't know if she was serving God at that point, but uh, no, she was out of town. And so I walk out with Drew, Adam, and Aaron. We're walking across the parking lot, and I remember Adam saying, Dad, what, what did you think of that? I said, was that right? Was that right? I said, no, it wasn't right. It was absolute abomination to stand up there and mock the leader of our country. Absolutely unbiblical. There's no anointing on it whatsoever, and you guys should never do that. I remember when the, the Monday after Barack Obama was uh, sworn in as president, and I was angry. And, and again, it just I'm a one-issue guy. we got to quit killing babies. And I don't know why that still puzzles some of you. Like, you act surprised by why I take the positions I do on some things. Like, oh, you, you still against baby killing? Yeah. I'd say I am. It's still in your face, too. And uh, so I remember I was walking through my living room, and they said, now here's the president of the United States. And I said as I walked through the living room, it's not my president. And the Holy Ghost rushed upon me rushed upon me, rushed upon me, and said, yes, he is. And I just went to the prayer closet and began to pray for him and prayed for him for eight years and did not criticize, did not get involved in all the ugly stuff on the Internet, did not mock, did not disrespect, did not dishonor for eight years. He's not president anymore, so I may take a shot now, but because I haven't got to that honor everyone part yet. <laughs> but I, the Lord showed me something one day when I was at Starbucks, so I know it was God. And uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's because I get some of my best revelations at Starbucks. And um, uh, I was reading about Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar and how that Nebuchadnezzar had this dream that ultimately the interpretation of the dream is God is going to judge you and he's going to drive you insane and you're going to be on your you know, hands and knees for seven years living outside with long hair and long claws and eating grass like a donkey. And here's this king is the man that destroyed Daniel's nation and killed his people. This isn't Barack Obama. This is an evil, evil man who had destroyed his nation. And they bring Daniel in to interpret the dream. And he says, O king, I wish that this dream was about your enemies and not about you. And I plead with you to repent so that God might have mercy on you and this not come about. Now, why would he feel that way? Because he prayed for him. And so the reality is I can look on your Facebook page and tell whether you prayed for Obama, whether you pray for Trump, just by what you say. 
And some of you, you don't honor them enough to even pray for them. Are you good? Your spouse. Honor your spouse. Number five. The Ephesians, Paul told the Ephesians, the, the wives he said, see that the wife respect her husband. We all know that one. But uh, Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. So we're to honor each other, assign value to each other. Value that God says. And then what I, what I really want to talk to you about, because I think this is the fountain from which all honor or dishonor spring, and that is to honor your parents. Now, this is what the command said, and I read you the thoughts of some of these old theologians that said, the man that won't honor his parents, won't honor God, won't honor other men, won't walk rightly with God. But I want to say before I get into this section, to you parents, right off the bat, the word here is honor, not obey. Now, we're going to read Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. You want to be turning there, and it does say obey but it's talking to children. And I've told you this before over the years, but there comes a point at which you don't have to obey any longer, but that point is not the age of 16. Hello. <laughs> it's a little, little beyond that. You outgrow obey, but you never outgrow honor. Hello? And so I want to say to you parents, you can't say to your 25-year-old kid, you have to obey, you have to honor me, and somehow make that obey. No, they don't. And, and don't manipulate it. I've, I've, I dealt with this with parents before where they say, well, if they were honoring me, they'd do what I say. They'd take into consideration what I want. No, you're manipulating. Hello. One of the greatest deliverances you can get as a parent is the day that you just come to grips with the fact that your 30-year-old kid doesn't have to do what you say, and you take a deep breath and just be okay with it. <laughs> Hello. It was a great day. Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And again, this word, tomeo in the Greek, means to estimate, to fix the value of something. So again, it's about value. It's about price. Long life among the Jews was a token of the divine favor, and it seems to have been an emblem of the life to come. We need not count in all cases on a literal fulfillment of the Jewish promise, but we may rest assured that a spirit of honor to our parents tends to make our earthly lot better and brighter and will have some recognition likewise in the life that is to come. Tomeo, this word honor, is used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, in Exodus 20 for honor your father and mother. It refers to the practice of setting a value when dedicating persons to the Lord. It relates to worth, honor, respect, and esteem. It's the word used in 1 Corinthians 6.20 and 7.23 when it speaks of you being bought with a price. Price is honor. It's a value. It's used in Acts 4.34 and 5.2 and 3 where Ananias and Sapphira claim to be presenting 
the price that a certain possession bought when sold. Wycliffe says that it may be well with thee, this must be taken as a continuation of the quotation from the law and not as a direct application to the believer in the present dispensation. Although the principle is always true, the soon coming of the Lord rather than long life is our blessed hope. In other words, it's saying, not saying you, you honor your parents, you're going to live to be 90. There's, there's a long history that says that's not true. But I want you to understand, this was a serious law, a mortal sin. Exodus 21 and Leviticus 20 both pronounced death, the death penalty on those who dishonored their parents. Am I advocating that now? No, I'm not. I, I want you to see the, the, the gravity of it. Now, I want to remind you about what we learned about things flowing to you. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet receives a prophet's reward. But if he disregards him as a prophet, he's not going to receive that. In Numbers 14, 18 says, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. So it's an iniquity flowing to you, not the guilt of it, you don't pay for the guilt of your parents, but the propensity to it flows to you because you think like that. And the more you're focused on it, the more it's flowing to you. And so I want to I stop with a, with a testimony and wrap up with a couple of thoughts because this is, this is a powerful experience I had. Um, I grew up in, in some rough circumstances, and, and that used to be a cornerstone of my testimony. My dad did this, and my stepdad did this, and, and uh, you know, paint the picture. And then Jesus came riding in a white horse and made it all better, and now I'm standing up preaching to you, and... And uh, so one night, after I'd preached in a church and I was at the hotel, and I, I told Drew I was sharing this with him, I said, these encounters, these kind of experiences always happen when I was preaching somewhere and staying at a hotel. Because if I was staying at the pastor's house, we were always at the house after church patting each other on the back, talking about how awesome everything was, and how great the service was, and what all God did. And isn't it great that we were there obeying God, and he used us in such a powerful way? We didn't say it exactly that way, but that was the gist of it. And uh, But when you're staying at the hotel, then it's just you and God, and sometimes he has a different opinion about everything that went on. Hello. And so I'm at the hotel, and I had given my testimony that night and had, you know, preached the gospel and given an altar call and all, all the stuff. And the Lord came in my hotel room and said, I don't like your testimony. Now, I don't know about you, but if the Lord says to you, I don't like your testimony, that sounds like you're in trouble. Because if the Lord don't like your testimony, it's not a good testimony. And he said, you are dishonoring your parents. Your father and your stepfather are dead. They're not even here to defend themselves. You're dishonoring their name. You're dishonoring your parents. I don't like it. You will stop. 
okay. And they stopped. But they didn't just leave it like that. A couple months later, I heard somebody teaching on this issue. The iniquity of the fathers flowing to the children of the third and fourth generation. Your parents done you wrong. Come on. That should be on the worship set in most churches on Sunday morning. Hey, won't you play another somebody done somebody wrong song? And so your parents done you wrong. And they created this problem in your life. And and uh and you you're focused on that, and what you've done is you've received that into your life, and the iniquity of the parent is now active in you, and you're going to repeat it. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And the greatest travesty of what the devil does in our life is he causes us to repeat the things that our parents did that we hated. But this man said, but if instead you will honor your father and mother, which is assigned value to them, and then look for what is the deposit of grace that God placed in them to release into my life. And then he blew me away. He said, even if they weren't saved, because God honors parents, because he didn't say, honor your father and mother if they're saved. Hello. Even if they're not saved, there's a deposit that God placed in them to release into your life that is the grace of God to be released into your life. He said, so instead of thinking about all this stuff you're still angry about and you're frustrated about and you're bitter about and, and you want to talk about, think about something completely different. What did God place in this man that he released in me? And I, I started thinking about my dad, and there wasn't as much because I went around him after I was nine years old. But there was stuff. I was thinking, you know, I, I remember that, and that was good, and and uh, I'm proud of that, and that was awesome. And then it was mostly my stepdad, and the more I thought about it, I mean, I thought for days, the more I thought about it, the more thankful I was, and the more grateful I was, and the more that I saw that was good and powerful in my life because of what he had released in my life, even in the midst of all his wonkiness and his anger and his bad temper and his, you know, stuff. His lostness. He released work ethic. He released all this stuff into my life. He used to take me with him. He 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 never he had he didn't have a checking account. He had this big wad of money in his pocket all the time, and uh, so he wasn't he afraid of getting mugged. No, you'd had to see the guy. And he was a little short guy, but he looked like he looked like. He was fin to go to business with somebody, you know, and he walked around with this what and he'd go to the town the first of every month and go around and pay his bills. And he took me with him because he wanted me to see how people responded when you paid your bills on time. 
And he wanted me to stand there while they talked about other people who didn't. And I and I said, okay, so pay your bills on time. Whatever you have to do, pick up pop bottles if you have to, right? Pay your bills on time. Work. Ten minutes before work is late. How do I know that? He taught me that. They'd come rolling up five till and go, there they are, late again. I go, well, they're not late. It's five till. Are they at work yet? Are they on the mower? Are they going down the fairway? No. If they're not on the mower, going down the fairway at 8 o'clock, they're late. Well, I don't think the Department of Employment would agree with you, but no, I didn't say that kind of stuff to him. <laughs> yes, sir. It's only acceptable. And I learned this stuff. And he deposited it in me. And, and he, he married a woman with three kids and raised them and took care of them. That's awesome. And he took me to OU football. And, I, and over the years, and it, so then it wasn't just, okay, I'm not going to talk evil about this man. Over a couple-year period, when I would talk about him, what I talked about was just naturally different because I remembered a whole different set of things. And those things were strengthening me. And somebody even mentioned, somebody in the church mentioned, you know, you talk about this in an entirely different way than you used to. Which stories are true? I said, both of them. They're both true. And they're true for your parents. They had some good stuff going on and they were screwed up at the same time. What are you going to think about? What are you going to focus on? Because as the Lord said to me, your parents weren't the reason that you ended up an atheist and in rebellion against all things God. You made that choice. Nobody is going to stand before the throne and answer for that but you. Listen, I don't care who you are. You, you got all this stuff you're holding against somebody? Nobody is going to stand before God and have to take responsibility for your stuff at the end of the age. You're going to be there somehow the way this works with billions of us there is you stand there by yourself. And you're wearing yourself out with the dishonor. And if you're dishonoring your parents, you're dishonoring everybody else. And some of you really just need to repent. And to repent means to change your thinking, which is something my mom always used to tell me to do. <laughs> you better change your thinking. <laughs> and to the point that when she died eight years ago and... My sister was telling her all this stuff she did that she was just so broken about, and, and including stuff with regard to me. And my mom called me up a few weeks before she died and said, I just crying, so I just need to, your forgiveness about all this stuff. I need to apologize. I said, for what? What do you, in this lifetime, have to apologize to me about? Why, because you worked three jobs so we could eat? Is that what you're apologizing for? I said, in this lifetime, 
You don't owe me any apology. Honor your father and mother, even if they're wonky in some areas, because I promise you they are. Rhonda's still kind of, <laughs> and her kids are all right. most hurtful thing any of my kids ever said to me was Aaron. We were at dinner one night. He said, and I just thank God for mom because if it wasn't for her, we'd probably all be crazy. <laughs> well, where was I at when all this was going on? <laughs> Do I get a little bit of credit on this thing? But I think the reality is if it wasn't her, I'd be crazy and then it'd be worse. Did you get anything out of that? The repentance is for you to go home and think about a whole different set of things. Some of you really need to repent about what you've been saying about your parents or to them. And you need to let the Lord paint a different picture. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.